F1 is all about being first, making history, breaking records, taking risks to do things that most others can only dream of. At the 2005 Chinese Grand Prix in his home city of Shanghai, a five-year-old Zhou Guanyu saw what it takes to be first. Fernando Alonso, number seven victory of the season. And dreamt of doing it himself. It had never been done before. No Chinese driver had ever raced in Formula One. But after 17 years of upheaval, homesickness, loss and uncertainty, Joe became the first. I lost myself a little bit because I was like, I couldn't speak a word because I sat in tears. It sounds pretty crazy to be the first one of my country because we have so many people back in my country. And I've been through this journey, it's very tough. It's like a very roller coaster ride. It's not the smoothest one. I was just very happy to be that person able to represent them. Welcome to F1 Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. Joe's F1 story is unique and epic. Before he was even a teenager, he swapped Shanghai for Sheffield, an industrial city in the north of England. He was thousands of miles away from home, but driven by a desire to be like his hero Fernando Alonso, he raced and won as he rose from karting to Formula 2. It was there that he learned what it means to lose a friend on the racetrack. And it was there that he proved to Alfa Romeo that he was ready for Formula 1. A history-making debut in Bahrain 2022 underlined that fact. China's first F1 driver and its first point scorer. Yes, boys! Come on! Come on, guys! Oh, man! He scored more points in Canada, a much-needed boost after a string of difficult races. But as you'll hear, Joe knows all about overcoming difficulties. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Joe, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. What are we? A third of the way through the season. Just how comfortable are you feeling now in the world of Formula One? Yeah, to be honest, you know, like every like two weekend, I feel like I was able to make a step forward. And especially in Baku, I feel like uh, even though it's first time driving on the straight in Formula One car and super difficult with the... You know, the braking and the aero margin But uh, I was just actually very happy. I made a big step up since like the Friday. I was able to up the pace together with Valtteri and then it just really helped us as a team to be moved forward. So, yeah, I feel like uh, very well settled in Formula 1 now and uh, actually, you know, can prove more myself. So, yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, apart from first weekend, I think it probably there was a lot of stress. But after that, uh, everything else was just getting more used to. Them. And of course, you know, when you know more people in the team, in the paddock, and then you just feel it's kind of a home, you know. It's a little bit similar to when you spend more years in any other category. And you just feel like, uh, yeah, very enjoyable and enjoy to go to every Grand Prix. You've been racing for more than 10 years. I just want to elaborate a bit more on, on what it's like to be in this world in, in your first year. Um, what makes F1 different? to the other formulas i mean yeah firstly it's the basically the top of motorsports it applies a lot attention from everywhere in the world like a lot of people following watching you many of them are not maybe following other category raced before and they get know you much better in formula one and then apart from that is a formula one driver is uh you know there's a lot of things to take rather than just driving on track you have to be focused a lot on other stuff and uh, you have to be basically 
a great person and also try to give everything you got with you know all the times and all the practice limitation you got and we don't get much time on track to be honest you know three practice session and we go to qualify to give it everything we have in the car but yeah for my side uh, just it's a completely different world in formula one like even f2 f1 is only one step away from each but when you actually reach the absolute top of this level you just felt you know your life everything just changed massively so yeah it's, it's great what about this side of it so this side of it there's obviously a lot more talking have you dealt with that okay obviously it's much more than i expected but i have to say that's like probably the first thing Valtteri said to me when he like first saw me he was like formula one is about maybe 60 percent of talking 40 percent of driving so <laughs> i don't fully understand that by then but yeah after one two race weekend actually you know you start your weekend on wednesday or thursday and then there's a lot of media you're going through the questions questions again maybe the same questions to try to answer that and then you know you don't get actually that much time on yourself so you're always either in the engineer's room meeting room doing a debrief or you'll be doing some activities with other people so yeah that side is pretty kept you busy i have to say how many more engineers do you have now on your car compared to, let's say, Formula 2? Yeah, I mean, Formula 2, we have basically two engineers. So one is the your racing engineer, one is the, the engineer who supports you. And uh, in Formula 1, of course, you get uh, around eight engineers just working together on your side. And uh, it's, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> the biggest difference I ever felt is that maybe in F2, is like you can speak to the engineers, and it's very simple. They will be either on your left-hand side or right-hand side. And uh, in Formula 1, you try to go to each different table, different seat position, try to talk with different like subjects about about driving or about your car. So it's getting very busy. And uh, at first, it's not easy to adapting that because there's a lot of information I have to take this year, especially as a rookie. But yeah, it's obviously much better when you have more info and uh, it's always just helping you. That's fascinating, isn't it? Eight people on your car having to... You are actually a manager as well as a driver, aren't you? You're having to manage all these different things on your car. Yeah, I mean, eight people is just at the track and you get much more at home. And of course, it's obviously both cars as well. So, yeah, it's like in Formula 1, the drivers have to take a lot of responsibility compared to your special other category because, uh, you know, everything you said, either in the car or outside the car in the briefing room, there's people at the track listen to and the whole factory is there try to you know wrote down or write down your feedback and try to improve for the next session so yeah, you have to be very efficient and uh, to know what makes you the struggle the most and that's always probably the first key i learned and i have to be you know just gain that confidence and you can improve a lot but yeah it's it's a it's a big difference and uh I have to say it's not, not the easiest to be understanding or to be adapting straight away. And it takes a bit of time. But uh, yeah, so far, this part of the season, I feel like I'm just, everything became more natural. Do you enjoy the technical side of the sport? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's great because, uh, you know, we, we are trying to chase milliseconds, you know, hundreds. One times is already quite a big number for us as a Formula One driver. You know, it could be, a matter of if you're in Q3, in Q2, or you are dropped out in qualify. So it's crazy. Like uh, we do all that, and uh, we're only chasing. You know, look if you're just looking at the time, and compared to you know a normal person in their 
normal lifetime about you know one second is nothing for for normal person lifestyle but yeah for us it's like i loved you know all the technical side of it because uh, everything you try to get it perfect from beginning and then it just keep you going and uh, every weekend the challenge sort of changes all the time you have to face different or new new challenges ahead so you never know what's coming and as you get to formula one it's one of the skills you need to be able to break down a second even more than you could in the junior formulas you know that one thousandth of a second you just talked about can you actually feel that can you visualize that i mean to actually feel that you can but to visualize that is difficult because uh, obviously for us as a ranging driver we can feel you know how the car generate or behave throughout the corner and how your lap is how good the lap is and uh, even though without looking at uh, the actual live timing you can actually figure out if this is a good lap or bad lap just not looking at any lap time but yeah in general it's uh, obviously feeling that so sensitive with that little margin is is pretty difficult but yeah it's uh it's probably just the the cool side with this sport or cool side with uh, being a racing driver with all that experience you just literally you feel every movement of your chassis your car and you can just feel it and it's also completely different corner by corners and you always have to you know get the best configuration of yourself and the car so yeah and physically how are you finding the cars there's a lot of talk of bouncing yeah uh well one thing i have to say is that after driving f2 you know it's a pretty stiff car i will never expect to driving something even more stiffer and this is- uh, yeah this is stiffer uh obviously you know last year f2 was quite f2 in general is stiffer and with the bigger wheels just make it even worse and uh, i drove the old car before in fp1 so it was very smooth ride very nice ride you can use more curb better rides and so yeah this year it's, uh, it's a big challenge for all of us you know all the team try to get as much low as possible to gain downforce but then in the same time we're all facing the bouncing and the the first few races has not been the maybe the most newest track we're going to a lot of old school or street city tracks so the bouncing generate even more and yeah i remember baku is a special one on the straight and monaco is something crazy like uh, i never experienced so bouncing like some some corners i even can't really see it properly the corner just have to go for it and it's it's tough i think that's probably the first thing but then in the physical side of things i think uh, after two rounds everything was was fine i mean neck is probably the key but since uh, Jeddah, I feel like, you know, I have no issue on the neck. I can be holding up pretty well, so it's all good. Have you had to do anything different with your training in terms of how you're doing your neck? And Yeah, I mean, the main focus, like, once on the contract uh, last year and uh, throughout the winter was just focused a lot on the, the shoulder and the neck. And, of course, with the endurance, because uh, obviously Formula 1 is longer race distance than what I used to and uh, it's actually much more f- focus you have to put into it and uh, the other thing is the neck you know it's uh, it's quite difficult to imagine but uh, i remember my first time ever jumped to a formula one car my neck was literally gone next day i couldn't turn that around turn anywhere and i have to turn my whole body for looking at just someone next to me so yeah i really know how much you know how difficult it was to be a Formula One driver. So throughout these years, I was, you know, well enough to prepare myself. But of course, this season or this winter is being a uh, main focus. Just do a lot of neck work, and uh, yeah, it's actually, you know, came out pretty well. And uh, I was maybe stronger than I expected the neck 
Have you got any secrets you can tell us? I remember David Coulthard telling me on this podcast that he used to watch Grand Prix lying down in different positions. He'd do the whole race with his neck at a funny angle just to strengthen it. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different things to do. One is like, uh, basically, you can just put your helmet on, but the helmet actually has, you know, these weights, but the weight is like very thin paddings. So you can actually stick them on your helmet. So use a very old helmet or your karting helmet, and then you can just do quite a lot of exercise on that. Or you, you know, do a, a day of go-kart, but with that much more weight on the helmet just to generate this similar or more, more closer uh, feedback in the G-force. And then, of course, there's uh, a lot more other exercise, but a little bit more boring. And uh, I remember all the time when I do a lot of neck, especially when you do it in the public gym. Like I did that in China, being F2. Everybody think you're strange, right? Because like no one do their neck, right? They only do their either upper body, make them a strong man or just do some endurance training. So I'll be there just get like a, you know, like a weight band and hook it around my neck doing something like that sometimes it's a bit strange but yeah i'm used to all that looks already so people understand that now what about the other drivers on the grid um is the atmosphere more highly charged among you than it is in formula 2 formula 3 yeah i mean maybe half of the grid i know them already from either younger single seaters racing together or we spend a team in the same uh, same team in the passing so yeah it's pretty it's pretty insane to say like how formula one driver obviously when you look outside they try to like race compete as a so so hard aggressively and fairly but then i really felt that in like saudi arabia or that when people all sit down together you know as a group we really help try to like help the formula one the sports to growing up or became better and better so it was a big surprise because things like that we never done in any other category in my life in either juniors or senior category so it's crazy to see like uh, yeah everybody are just walking as one uh, off track just try to help the best for every single different involvement so yeah it's, this is something probably maybe was a big a little bit more shock to see because I don't expect when I see people try to you know I don't know, saying bad words about each other and doing that off track on TV and the uh, first time feeling that they actually work together as, a, as one. So it's very cool to, to obviously be one of the 20 drivers there and try to always thinking about the future, what's bringing is better for, for us, better for the drivers coming up to the, to the categories. So Latifi, Schumacher, Tsunoda, obviously you knew them before, but what about the older, more established guys? How, have they been welcoming to you? Yeah, everyone knows I know Alonso, Ricciardo for a long time and uh, because we was in the same basically team in the past and I was obviously the academy driver. And then, yeah, probably more like people like Sebastian or Lewis is something, some people that I never spoke in the past and everybody is quite warm, you know, welcoming and uh, especially I think in Bahrain was the first time that everybody actually get to properly see each other, have a chat with all the drivers. So, yeah, it's cool, obviously, to have all these people around still because, uh, yeah, I definitely don't expect to be racing with a few of the very experienced drivers because it's something, you know, I remember my first race I watched, they was there racing and they're still here racing. So it's actually... A special feeling but uh, yeah really enjoy of the off track and uh, on track battle together you've just made a reference to fernando alonso haven't you 
for people who don't know, can you just tell us the story about when you first saw him race? Uh, that was basically 2004. And uh, that day, I have to say, I didn't know anything about motorsports. So I was just a fan in general, but I was just, I saw his race and I just think, you know, he was a very good driver. And uh, I had that, that dream, you know, in my mind that maybe one day or oh, one day I want to be like him, a Formula One driver. And yeah, then the second year when the Chinese Grand Prix happened, obviously I started to be a, a bit more understanding about motorsports and I was holding his flag. Everybody saw that picture on social. And, and of uh, course that was 2005, five, Chinese yeah. Grand Prix, which he won. Yeah, exactly. So that was a special year because I was supporting him and the good driver I support who won the race and uh, won the championship as well. So Why Fernando? I've got to ask you that because back then, there was a man called Michael Schumacher yep. racing and actually other drivers on the grid. Alex Albon, massive Michael Schumacher fan. What was it about Fernando for you? Because like for me, I'm a pretty unique person and I don't I don't really like to, obviously, firstly, to just follow like whatever people think or whatever the whole majority of people support. I want to be follow more like my heart. And by then I feel like, because Michael was like a legend for everyone, like for us in China, was there, he has so much fan base. And then for a driver like Fernando, try to compete with him or try to be him on track. It wasn't an easy thing. And for me as a kid, I just feel this, this guy is something special, you know, to able to be Michael is, uh, you, you have to be quite good. And then, yeah, looking at also just following up his career when I was very young in karting, I always can, you know, do or explore much more than the whole, his like four car potential. It's something like I want to be, you know, maybe like that. So it's always nice to see how drive very aggressive on track as well. Like one of the best first lap or start starters in Formula 1 history. So yeah, he have a lot of these different type of like skills that uh, Fernando has. So I just feel like, yeah. I want to support him. You were what, five or six back then at the Chinese Grand Prix supporting him. So how weird is it now to be racing him on track and to have actually been a sort of teammate of him? Yeah, uh, I mean, in previous years when you were, of course, part of the Renault Young yeah, Driver. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a quite quite like a strange or weird feeling to be fair because because the first time I knew him, like uh, we was together testing uh, in uh, like private days in back in Alpine. And then, yeah, the following year, that's when he joined it, uh, went back to Formula One. I was able to do the, well, drive the FP1 in Austria and in his car. <laughs> so that was my first FP1 attempt, or the only one from last year. So it was a very special moment. And uh, it's something that I will never, you know, think about that will happen one day. And uh, especially like uh, now to be racing against him in on the same grid because you know Alpine is one of like the main competitors or the the team where battle for the, this very tight midfield battle. So like the first racing barring, it was like always something quite special when you heard on the radio. Joy, the fuck you have followed We was fighting for that last point until the end of the race. So that was yeah, that was a special moment. Now like. I remember the big difference that one heard on the radio at the very beginning, one first time in FP1, all these legend names like Hamilton, Verstappen, Alonso, and then compared to now, now it's like you just feel it's like another driver. But then back then it's like very special. And to see them go past, I think it's difficult 
difficult to explain the, the actual feeling inside yourself, but it's just something that you feel like this, these drivers are the one that you're growing up always watching them and then you are together racing. And in that FP1 session that you did in Austria last year in Fernando's car, how helpful was he? Oh, very. Uh, we did a track walk even together. I think that's the first thing. Hang on, hang on. He made a big thing last year about him not doing track walks. You yeah. persuaded him to do a track walk. I don't know, but like, yeah, he actually, because I know, you know, a lot of drivers, they don't do track walks. You know, they, they don't like to do track walks. And uh, yeah, it was, I was surprised because I didn't know he was doing a track walk until Thursday. And he was like, oh, I'm coming for a track walk with you. And not even just that, you know, he was like actually telling me all these little tricks or what he's experienced from the past and uh, that was very how helpful. helpful was that what was he what was he picking out on the track walk yeah it's more like just the driving line and the curb usage usage and how he like you know think i should approach this session because you know any drivers has their first time and uh, he obviously you know, after all this experience, he was able to just tell me about what I should do and then to make the minimum mistakes and maximum potential, basically. So, yeah, it was very helpful, especially on just the lines because, you know, the, the way you drive F1 car to other categories is quite a bit different. So it was a very successful session. I kept his car on track, no damage. I think that was something also in my mind. I want to be quick, show myself because I was coming from F2 and had a chance maybe fighting for the seat. And then as well, I want to be not making any errors because it's very easy to do that in tracks like these, you know, high speed corners. So yeah, overall it was a very smooth day. So like he was very proud of me after. So. Well, and there's a lovely moment, I think, just after you've got out of the car where he you're looking at each other and you can yeah. see he's smiling and you've still got your helmet on the picture yeah. i'm thinking of yeah, but exactly. obviously you're smiling. There's, a, there's a real sort of connection between the two of you yeah exactly it just shows how much like yeah uh he was just helping me and he it was just an amazing day like uh it was like one of the day i will never forget to the date but yeah well how important was that fp1 session for you in terms of what was it, it was 29 laps you ended up just half 14. a second behind yeah it was p14 p14 just half a second yep. behind ocon just how important was that day for you personally it what did it confirm in your mind it was the confident i think that's the the biggest thing was just in my mind because i i done some a few days of testing you know before that in other tracks throughout the year but then you never know, you don't have a reference, you know, to follow and you never know what are you against the current F1 drivers like. So yeah, that day was obviously was a very special day because it's like first time driving this these new cars for me, the the new car of the year and then to be able to, you know, one practice session one hour time, you don't have much. You have basically three outings, three little sessions adding together. So I was able just to just build up and then end up very closely. It just gave me a bit confident. Also, it's more like about other people in the paddock who are watching you, you know, thinking, you know, actually knows you is the first time for you. And then you actually speed is there with your teammate. So not that just that because I was half second off with medium tire. He was soft. So that just gave me even more like confident that if I continue walking like that way, you know, I can be the same speed as them. Was that the moment when the Formula One dream started to take reality in terms of behind the scenes, the conversation started with Alfa Romeo? Was that the moment? I mean, that's one of the moments. Of course, all that 
the moment starts a bit earlier than that, but uh, that was probably one of the most important dates in terms of, you know, just to get the guys around the paddock to know you better and to see actually what's your performance like on track. So, yeah, that was definitely an important day and uh, they gave me more opportunities for my F1 dream. Can we expand now on your journey to Formula One? Because so much of your story is extraordinary. You moved to England before you were even a teenager. But can we start with life in Shanghai and how you got into racing? I mean, where did your passion for motorsport come from? Obviously, it's definitely coming from myself because uh, our family is not a motorsports family. We don't have any pure racing drivers. But yeah, it's uh, when I was a little kid, I always like all the birthday gift I wanted was just car toys. So I remember when I was a kid, I was always playing on the sofa with little cars and have that imagination of like, I'm actually like kind of like a T, uh, how do you say, a commentator commenting the, the race. But then it was, it was a special moment. And then obviously my family saw me have that love in cars. So they took me to the indoor go-kart track for the first time. And uh, I was, the first time I wasn't in the driving position. I was too scared to be driving myself so i was in a two-seated go-kart on the back how seat. old are you at this moment uh probably six and uh, so who was driving my dad so. dad was driving okay. and i my i didn't know where i was my eyes was fully closed the whole 10 minute session so i remember that day pretty well to the date and yeah but wanted to go back again obviously was actually i wanted to go home <laughs> <laughs> no lie because you can ask my my uh, my family and uh, yeah i was too scared i feel like i'm not going to drive it myself and it's it's too fast and you're sliding drifting it's crazy never drove a go-kart in my life before so i was going to go home but then it was like you're here why don't you just try one time at least and if you're scared we don't come again and then yeah then the moment i tried it i absolutely loved it so i was like and that was it no looking back because what else were you into at the time i mean was this kobe bryant was this basketball for you had that happened yet or was it was uh, racing your first sporting passion it was actually the first kind of sporting passion because before that i was very i like football but like you know as a kid a boy you like football these sports the sports you play at school you like them and i'm i'm quite like a sporty person since very young so yeah the actual sports maybe i was thinking to do it was formula one uh, or motorsports in general but uh, yeah, before that there was nothing maybe really I was practicing or doing a lot of time seeing. Tell me about the karting scene in, in Shanghai at the time how big was it? What was the standard like? Yeah, It was pretty pretty good back then but now it's much better but uh, back then you know we have a reasonably a, a big like uh, base, basement of people completing in the Chinese uh, karting championship and uh, yeah, from my side, uh, it was quite quite special because like you arrived there, the the level for me back then was quite high up because I was very, very young when arriving to the, the category I raced back then. So basically the first year I finished top three, it was never expected. And then second year I won, then I start winning every year. Yeah, so you cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, actually I did because 2010 is the, the year actually before I decided to move out to UK. There was a round in the championship. I won all that and still still holding the record for that. So, yeah, it wasn't easy. But, yeah, in general, when I 
basically moved to UK, I really felt a big difference because back then it was challenge for me, but I able to came on top. But then, yeah, in UK I was only able to arrive just P10 outside top 10. So it's it's pretty like a, a difficult moment for a young teenager because you like winning everything, having jumping every race, and then into you can't get into top 10. So really felt like there's a long way to go. Has the karting scene in Shanghai subsequently taken off? I mean, if you were starting your journey now, would you have needed to come to England? Or, or is there now the infrastructure in China for, for young guys coming through? You still have to come to Europe because the, you know, the motorsports background history in general, we are a lot behind. So that means the level of the drivers are much lower and uh, I think also the other thing is that we have no, for example, format Formula One driver that can guide you around or has an academy who help young drivers. So you have to go with the most professional ones when you're young. So yeah, I think uh, still coming to Europe, that's my definitely absolutely 100% recommend. Joe, let's discuss the moment now where you say, okay, I want to be a professional racing driver. I want to get to Formula One. How did you land on England and why, why England and not France, Germany, Italy? Yeah, because like, you know, England from what we saw is that we have a, there's a lot like Formula One drivers coming from British nationality. So it was something quite clear for us and also the language, you know, even though I wasn't good or quite bad, but then it's still is probably the only language I know back then, apart from Chinese. So kind of the uh, communicating ways and also, you know, the level is pretty high. So it was quite clear for us just to move to England. And obviously, you know, normal people when you go to England, you move to big cities. I didn't, I went to North Sheffield. So, so uh, why, why Sheffield? Because Motorsport <laughs> Valley in the UK, if you'd said to me, Oxford or Milton Keynes you've got lots of Formula One teams around there lots of junior racing teams around there less so Sheffield because my racing team in go-kart was based in Sheffield so it's basically the Tony Kart team it's called Strawberry Racing because Strawberry Racing is their like kind of nickname because Strawberry is very famous fruit for that city in Sheffield so and uh, yeah, it's basically that's the team I went for, and uh, they was one of the best team. Russell was racing with them in very old age. You can ask him. And do you remember George from back then? Uh, yes, because while first time there, I watched a lot of, like old video clips, and that was like uh, he became like he was uh, I don't know where he was maybe just about to move into doing all this OKF racing, but before that he was in UK base, and yeah. I remember that back then and yeah he was still doing all this junior category to go to formula one as well so yeah basically we all kind of started in the same team and uh, yeah it's it's pretty nice to see it now so and joe how tough were those years for you i mean how homesick did you get how much can you tell me just about the setup in terms of who you were living with and it's obviously still i feel quite a lot of homesick like just now but uh, yeah back then was was difficult it's more like uh, you don't have many friends when you started this journey because you move to a, a, a city that uh, you know there's not a lot of people you know and everybody is like quite new to you and then you have to be going to school try to understand what 
the class is saying because uh, to be the English or the language is one of the difficult part f for the beginning to be understanding what other people are saying, and then yeah, you you always basically doing practice or schoolwork or you just racing. So there's only three things you do when you live there. And for a young boy back then it was pretty tough because uh, you don't have time for other things. But obviously racing is something I love, I enjoy the most. But yeah, still you kind of lose quite a lot of friends, you know, especially back home in China, like because you don't go back often to see them anymore. But yeah, still by then I think I had more times to going back than now. And and who were you living with? Was it were you living with the racing team? Or? I was actually my mom was living with me together because I was age of eleven, twelve. But then yeah, I spent basically most of my weekend with the racing team. That's how I able to improve my English as well. So hang on a minute, Joey. Hang on, mechanics English. Are you good at swear words? That's all everyone. I was talking. very good, but then I was able to calm it down the last few years because I think. With other teams, then that's is yeah. That's probably the first thing I learned the the best. It's very easy to to learn the swear words with the mechanics. Yeah. And were there any? I mean, it's it's so easy to look back now. You've made it to Formula One, and and you're established in this world. But were there dark moments back then where you felt I've made this huge sacrifice, and for whatever reason, it's not happening? And did you almost have to sort of go back to Shanghai a few times? How close did it get to? the dream ending yeah i mean i have to say in karting days not too bad it's more like uh it's like when you're going up going up climbing up to the level of single seaters because in basically the karting days is quite it's quite straightforward and uh i was able actually to do pretty well after one year of practicing all that but yeah there was times in karting days that people crashing you out pushing you off on purpose because I was basically the only Chinese face around the paddock. You know, you get kind of like a little bit bullied, you know, with other more important or more like like experienced drivers because that's karting, you know, there's a lot of bumper racing together. So it's tough, but then it wasn't, wasn't something special. I was able to earn my respect quite early by doing well on track. And uh, yeah, it's more like uh, the recent years, maybe especially like two years ago in 2020 in Formula 2 because it's like you are very close to the dream but then i think when you're young you think the dream is very real or very easy to reach but then the older you get the more mature you get you realize how difficult just to have a door open for you to get to in f1 because firstly i was thinking okay you get the super license points and then you're being f1 but then after i got that super license point, i really felt like there's other things have to be all around in the perfect timing and uh, to have a seat for you and yeah that's very tough because you have to manage yourself quite quite difficultly because you know there's your competitors or other people try to take you down from it but then you have to just really use yourself and uh, use the your team try to give myself the maximum i have every race weekend and not do any mistakes and then the chance became maybe 20 50 percent and so uh, yeah it's it's tough i remember there's one time i felt like you know i went back home for maybe just five days not telling anyone like no one knows from outside the world apart from our family just i just i just go there and went back just for like uh fully relaxed re, uh, like recharge let's say but yeah it's uh it's difficult times 
it's an incredible story and, and mum is in fact mum still comes to races doesn't she? she she's at most of the Grand Prix yeah now. I mean uh, yeah she her plan was to come to the first first race and I kind of got stuck here because <laughs> loves it yeah Shanghai got into lockdown and yeah oh I see that's why yeah, as much I mean, as anything yeah she was going to go just to watch a few European races and then yeah because it's nice to see and, and uh, yeah I think my dad is more than exciting to come here because he haven't had the chance yet because my my like kind of sister is still going to school there. They cannot both to be here and they, one of them have to take up care of my sister. So yeah, hopefully, you know, they can come. I'm sure they will come like during the next few, few months. You then race in Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2. One of the things that really strikes me about your junior career is that you were very loyal to your teams. You, you were effectively Prima and you and I virtuosi. Was that an intentional thing to, to remain loyal and stay with the same group? Or was it just circumstance that saw you end up with those teams I mean, for so long? It's kind of, uh, you know, at the beginning, obviously with Prima, it was because I was with Ferrari Driver Academy and they have the link, all the junior drivers there. And then there was one of the best, all the best team out there. So I was just with them. Then with Virtuos, it's kind of like more from my side together with Renault that. Uh, we think that was a team we have a, a good chance of it and then of course you know we felt like when you started with them when you build up kind of this relationship together with you and your engineer then if you keep swapping teams you know you might have a very good benefit and so you might be like you know to be very good the next year but then it could be a chance of it could be difficult to adapt in with either the car or with the people around. So we thought, you know, it's a British team. Is that where I coming from at the very first place? And uh, I like the way they work. And they are a very strong team in the past. So I just st stuck with them in 2019. And then since then, like, we felt like we can do something quite well, you know, in the pa coming up years. So I think it was, uh, you know, it was a very good choice in general. You mentioned the Ferrari Driver Academy and then you swap to the the Renault Young Driver um academy is that is, that, is it another yeah. academy but what made you swap yes yeah, uh it's actually a, it's a tough option because obviously ferrari is where you have that badge it's something special right and then yeah that year is like basically the next year will be my first in f2 and for my side that is the year i want to really to put myself into maybe more role more involved with formula one teams and it was clear that Renault was able to offer me, you know, a deal has a lot of testing program, a lot more like involved even in the Grand Prix weekend or in the debris of the, uh, the current F1 drivers. So, yeah, for me, like uh, that was just the right decision I made. So I'm quite glad with that decision. It was a tough period because when you want to switch, you know, you have to change quite a bit. And uh, yeah, it was quite, quite, quite good in general because it just prepared me well enough in 2019 then last or 2021 i was able to step in the car and to even have that opportunity to step in the car then also to be have opportunity for my future but yeah i think otherwise i don't know if i had an fp1 last year or not so i think that was a very good decision and of course through renault you, you met daniel ricardo um friendly guy yep uh very funny guy so <laughs> always joking about things and yeah. uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good good team play. And there was also a, a really good crew of you, part of uh, that Renault Academy. And there's one guy I wanted to talk to you about was Antoine Hubert. Uh, he was your teammate on the programme. And, and how tough 
was Spa 2019 for you? Yeah, it was a very dark weekend for the whole motorsports, especially for us, because it's even more the week before we spent two weeks in France, like doing a cycling trip. I can't remember where it was. This so you were doing a stage of the Tour de yeah, France? Yeah, kind of like you? a little yeah. stage of that. It's eight days, we travel different places, and then a total of 600 90 kilometers you and, and Antoine were yeah, doing that together there. all the academy drives so I was there and also I was lucky I was there and uh, yeah we we shared the room most of the time because we was a very good friend together obviously we are always racing compete each other in F2 also as well that year so yeah it was pretty difficult to accept when that happened because I was literally I was maybe two, three cars ahead of that queue. And then I saw the guy or two behind me literally lost control because I saw a car went very far into a rouge. Then, yeah, it was red flag. So I don't know what's happening until we stopped. So I was quite shocked to hear what happened. But then, you know, more into maybe 20 minutes later, and I heard a story of, you know, he was pretty much, you know, not here anymore so it was i was very shocked and it was difficult to to race and i think f2 did a good job to stop that race but yeah it's very sad to lose lose him like that and it's, it's the first time for me to experience something like that it's crazy did you question your own participation in motorsport uh to be honest i didn't because uh we all know we have like a chance of risk when we put the helmet down and uh, sit in the car but yeah i think by then i just i just feel maybe something we could definitely change to make that crashing or that happen not to be there anymore because i feel like this this corner always has have to be changed from all this experience and yeah it's uh for myself i wasn't really doubt of if i should not continue or not because i feel like that was my dream we as a family we put so much effort into it we, there's no way i would be backing out from it because we're doing something we love every drive and we just love to be fighting together in this kind of tone of speed so yeah i'm sure he'd want you to continue anyway yeah exactly it was yeah it was a uh, was nice to also has a a wet reward his helmet in sochi the next race coming up so it was a very special moment because the whole helmet was his that year's current helmet with his name on it so it was just something to rest in peace and so yeah and at the end of the year you picked up the Antoine Hubert award for top rookie that must have been a, a special moment yeah that's a very special moment because uh, you know the rookie was named after him so it's and the first year to have the rookie trophy so to be the first one to take that it was a very special moment also I remember his brother gave me that trophy so it's just something, uh, this trophy is back in my office in China together with his helmet next to it. And uh, yeah, it's just keep me in, in memory of an uh, amazing driver and great friend. Guan Yu Zhou, the Chinese driver heading to Formula One, will see the checkered flag first and celebrate another victory in FIA Formula Two, Formula One bound. Guan Yu Zhou. Thank you for your hard work. So Formula Two works out. You get the drive in Formula One. Can you remember where you were when you were first informed? Was it Fred Vasseur who made the call to you? What happened? Uh, it my manager made the call to me. And uh, I was actually at my house. 
5 p.m. at my house, and yeah, I heard that phone call because I'm, it was it was very tough because basically there was only one seat in Alpha Mill from Silverstone period, and you know it was like 10 people, how many people fighting for the 10 drivers, and then obviously the numbers get reduced, reduced throughout the time go, being gone, and uh, yeah, it was. I never know if I had the. Ch- I know I had a ch- chance, but then it's not more or less than the others we are equally based so yeah when i finally heard that it was like uh, kind of a big settled down big like uh breath you know breath back and uh i was actually i couldn't i lost myself a little bit because i was like i couldn't speak a word because i sat in tears because i remember that day was quite special i was luckily at my house because otherwise it looks very strange if i'm outside in the <laughs> a uh, public place and so yeah it was uh back then when you heard you are a formula one driver it's just formula one driver this two simple word is a uh, very special for all of us as a uh, young young drivers because that's a dream and the dream is is not something we set and it's very easy to do and something is you have to you know how was the news received back home in china yeah, I mean, everybody was asking me one week, two weeks before, am I going to get it? Am I going to get it? And then the best thing I think about it was that when well, I know that I was, you know, the deal was done, I was comfortable for next season. I can't tell anyone apart from my family and uh, obviously my family knows. But yeah, it was it was difficult because I was so happy, exciting. But then everybody was just, they don't know if I was making that. So, like, my very close friend will just text me every day and I can't give him an answer because I cannot do that. And so, yeah, it's... Uh, everybody went quite crazy back then when that happened because uh, I don't know how many years yeah, it's been and it's the first driver and uh, it's a big moment for the Chinese motorsports. It's massive. Yeah. The first Chinese Formula One driver is sat yeah. in front of me now it's a it's a historic moment and and the magnitude of that must have made an impact on you and everyone on back home yeah exactly uh just you know it sounds pretty crazy to be the first one of my country because we have so many people back in my country and uh, then yeah it's uh obviously i've been through this journey it's very tough it's like a very roller coaster ride it's not the smoothest one but yeah i was just very happy to be that person able to standing out or standing out for my home to be represent them and uh, yeah hopefully one day the the grand prix will happen but oh yeah. how much do you want the grand prix now like so badly yeah. because uh <laughs> it'll be a sellout it's, it's gonna be special <laughs> because last time i was there it was the last grand prix 2019 i was still f2 driver but by then people was crazy about it because i don't know were you there in 2019 yeah, yeah, you yeah. was right yeah. i was doing a renault e20 demonstration before the grand prix so when i stopped put my helmet down and uh, sat on the top of the cockpit and uh, like the whole groundstand was actually screaming and uh, by then I was only my ser- second race of F2 finished so nobody not many people know and yeah by now I think it'll be completely crazy so uh, well let's hope we get back to Shanghai next year are you selling lots of merch is is it is it uh, on that level is it w- working out uh yeah well I mean w- I saw some like uh, merch in the past in F2 times but then when I was in F1 we are planning to have some merch to be announced but uh, especially obviously the first one will be the mini helmets of my this year's season's helmet and uh, yeah we haven't really focused on that yet but uh, there will be definitely a lot coming because I know everybody are asking me for 
merchandise and uh, I'm very excited to have all this coming up but yeah it's been it's it's quite tough to manage it all together at the same time but yeah will be a lot more coming and of course it's going to have the number 24 on it um I asked you about Kobe Bryant earlier at what point did he come onto your radar uh it was in like uh around when I was probably about nine eight years old so going like I was school still back in Shanghai because by then you know we like to in China it's different we all our uniform is not blazer with shirt with like normal shoes we are just sports shoes and then with the like a sports outfit that's our normal uniform it's completely different. so don't tell me you turn up in Lakers outfit every day right not Lakers outfit we have our like school uniform but it's like a sports one instead of like the former one so it's we I do turn up with a Kobe shoes every day. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, basically that's all come together. He was a big thing, a big uh, sports kind of like uh, legend back home. So I was a big fan of him since very young. So I don't play too much basketball. Like I play betting in football, I have to say. I'm much better in football. But then I love more watching basketball because the the game is so intense. And then he was the like kind of a guy I was always supporting, watching him playing. So once I was young, even though I was in UK, I was still trying to watch his game. So yeah, it's a, it's a big thing for me. And it's more like I choose the number because of him, but also like my favorite number is gone. So I have like kind of limited choice, but then I feel like I need something that give me the energy in F1. So that was it. So let's bring it right up to the to the present. We've discussed Alonso. Let's let's talk about Sauber and Alfa Romeo. First of all, Valtteri, what kind of a teammate is he? Oh, very great teammate, and uh, it's like so nice. It's probably one of the nicest teammate I worked. The last time I have a teammate that nice is probably Callum. <laughs> it's like yeah, obviously Valtteri is. Uh, it's great because with all his experience and he was able just to not just answering all the questions i um, maybe have a, a question mark to him it's more like uh, sometimes he was even asking me like how do you feel do you have something you want to know even even more about it and i remember that very well like in bari already said before 10 minutes before the pilling open, before we put the helmet on, he was actually asking me, do you have anything? Because he knew how nervous I was. It's your debut in Formula One. And since then, we've been walking along so well together. And uh, also nice, we have a very similar driving style. So the feedback of the car, we always quite equally matched. So for the direction of the team, it's very great for development. And uh, yeah, so far it's been very good. And we always try to you know, maximize all the potential. What's the best bit of advice he's given you? You know, it's about uh, just the beginning of the first ever Grand Prix in Bahrain because he said to me, like, so this is your first qualifying session and then you have to just, you know, take it step by step. Don't think about, like, you have to give it everything your first try. If you can't do it, you still have another try, you know, to do it. It just kind of calmed me down. And also, like, he says, you know, stuff about, for example, Baku, he was like, even though it's like halfway, like a quarter way for the season, he was like, here you have to just go to the finish. It's the first thing you need to do in Baku. That's before the race weekend even started. He was like, just go to the finish. You never know where you will finish. So it's like things like that just very motivate myself and just help me a lot to be, you know, became better. And he's been 
very generous in his praise of you as well. After Baku, he was saying that you were in a different league, he said, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously, we have to say what's obviously his biggest struggle in Baku. But yeah, I was able to have to say on Friday, uh, matching more his pace. I think it's everyone is happy to see also him because then we really can push each other, each other to finding this final few attempts where we have our full potential in the car. But yeah, I think uh, last weekend obviously was a uh, was a very strong performance for me and everybody see and uh, just very happy to be continue working that way. But then wouldn't be there obviously without his help and uh, I think we are very good like a match teammates. Has he got you drinking some of his coffee? Yeah, he did. I was in Imola was the first time I tried his like homemade coffee. He was in the motorhome, so it was. Were very... you just being polite, or did you genuinely want to try? I actually genuinely want to try because <laughs> I don't drink coffee one before this year. I never drank any coffee before arriving at phone. But then with all these early mornings, I have to deal <laughs> not on track, but like media activities and all the other things. But yeah, I have to stay awake, and that's the thing. Yeah, I do one also before some races, some qualify session, just to help me to be set to myself. So, yeah, I, I love coffee quite a lot now, but I'm not in the level of Austria, nowhere near. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone else is, quite frankly. My engineers. Oh, do they drink a lot? Is it? About 12 coffee. 12 coffee a day? 12 Minimum. coffees a day? Minimum. Not joking. You spend one day in Alfa Romeo next to my engine, you will see. <laughs> Everyone's shaking. They're so wired by the I don't caffeine. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, and what about back in Hinville? How much time are you spending with the team? A lot. Like last last year, the moment I finished Abu Dhabi, so the first time meeting up one day with the team, and then I was straight back to the factory for the simulator until one day before Christmas. And then, yeah, beginning of the season also, one day very early, just to be, try to, you know, feel the new car, try to learn and try to get involved with all the teams in f in the factory just to spend more time with them and so yeah it's obviously it paid out pretty well like if you look the beginning of the season how we was able to perform and uh, it was a big surprise for I think everyone in the world watching Formula 1 and also for myself it just you know it's just a big confident build up from the since the beginning so I'm just quite happy with all this extra effort I was able to put in in the factory behind the scenes and you can see it just paying off very well did you nip off skiing over the winter skiing yeah i don't do you don't do are you no, not allowed no. to i don't know if we're, <laughs> but i think we don't allow this kind of dangerous but uh, i don't i don't skiing because it's probably Shanghai, we don't have snow every 10 years we have one <laughs> little snow so it's not a famous it's probably very sensible because yeah. if you were into skiing i think you do less work because you just always half an hour from hinville you can be in the mountains can't yeah you? i know um, they love to go there. well let, let's throw it forward i'd like to think silverstone is something of a home grand prix for you given that there's no chinese grand prix do you see it like that at all yeah i mean Silverstone is a place kind of like uh, I feel very much home because I'm living in UK but I think honestly this year the home company will be Singapore because that will be I think a lot of Chinese people like Melbourne I feel like it was a home company for me because like I don't know I have so many people in that city it, it was crazy like even in the hotel in the like the paddock, paddock. so yeah Silverstone coming up I'm definitely very exciting for I mean at least it's a track you know very yeah, well isn't it exactly and uh, it's been you know normally that's a race that a lot of people come in watching me from my family or from my friends so it's a super unique track to be driving so yeah I always love it was one of my favorite race in 
in Formula 2. So, yeah. You always went well there. Okay, Singapore later in the year, it's going to be hot. But just overall, what are your ambitions for the remainder of this first season? Uh, I mean, from my side, I think I will be just keep working, build it up from here. And I feel like we are now in a very good, like, kind of a starting range now. Like, Baku was a big step up for myself, performance, like, from Friday. So we don't, we're not a session behind because of, of the... I know Baku, but still, it's like just I was able to be straight away on it. I think we just have to take that as a reference and to be keep doing that. And uh, obviously, to be closing the gap together with Valtteri is always a good thing. And then that just really can can help me going forward. But then the other thing is that I really want to have a good Sunday because we haven't had one in the last four races, and uh, especially with the DNFs, it's pretty frustrating. And uh, yeah, I just hope that uh, you know we can get the problem fixed and then to I'm sure the results will come we need to just fix it and uh, yeah we have the speed we have the potential get back in the points Joe thank you so much for coming on the show it's been wonderful to chat best of luck with everything thank you Joe is a very engaging guy, isn't he? And that was a wonderful chat. I loved hearing his story and the sacrifices he's made in pursuit of his dream are as big as any driver on the grid. And I find it mad to think that his father still hasn't seen him race a Formula One car in the flesh. Let's hope that changes soon and let's hope that we get a Chinese Grand Prix back on the calendar next year. The fans will go absolutely mad for Joe if that happens. Joe, many thanks for your time. It was a great conversation. Please remember to send in your thoughts and stories about Joe. Unlike his dad, have you seen him race in the flesh this year? Please send in what you've got to me at Tom Clarkson F1 on Twitter or use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid. Which brings me on to what you sent in about Thierry Bootson after last week's show. There's a lot of love out there for Thierry, isn't there? Let's start with this from Matt. I was 16 in 1989, he says, and I went to the Canadian Grand Prix with my dad in the torrential rain. I was wearing my Williams jacket, which I had Thierry's name embroidered on. Every week I await with great excitement for your podcast, with the hope that we would hear from Thierry. You've made for one happy fan. Well, Matt, it makes me very happy if you're very happy. And it certainly was great to hear from Thierry, who I thought was in very good form. Now, how about this from Carl Lawrence? Very insightful conversation with Thierry, he says. It was wonderful to hear him recall racing alongside Stefan Beloff, who would no doubt have challenged for the World Championship had he not been lost to us. Well, Carl, I loved hearing about that as well. And it's crazy to think that Thierry was Stefan's teammate in sports cars, but that did at least mean he could provide us with great insights about Stefan Beloff. And let's end with this from Triangle123. Fantastic, says Triangle. Thierry was one of my favourite ever Formula One drivers. I came to Formula One in the late 80s, early 90s, and I had a soft spot for Thierry when he was dumped by Williams and had to join Ligier because I thought he was worthy of more. I always loved his attitude and racing skill. What a brilliant interview. Well, thanks for the kind words, Triangle. And yes, Ligier, but I can't stop thinking about Thierry in a red Ferrari alongside Senna. 
Thank you for sending in those messages. And that's pretty much all we've got time for. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed hearing from Joe, please follow the podcast. It's the fastest way to get our new episodes. Just hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen. And please leave us a rating or a review. We love reading them. Plus, why not check out the latest episode of the F1 Nation podcast? It's our review of the Canadian Grand Prix with none other than local boy Jacques Villeneuve. Search F1 Nation on your podcast app or Formula One's YouTube channel. F1 Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. Until next time, keep it flat out.